This is the Mormon Expression Podcast. Find us on the web at mormonexpression.com. Hey, brothers and sisters. I have an assignment for you. We're looking for three Nephite stories. If you've had any encounters with the Holy Trio, then we want to hear about it. It doesn't even have to be your encounter. Maybe it was your great Aunt Petunia's. Maybe it was something that happened to your roommate's sister's cousin's boyfriend. It doesn't matter, just so long as it's a story about the three Nephites. You can call it in to us. Our number is 801-906-6722 and leave a voice message of your story. Or you can record your own audio and send it to us at mail at mormonexpression.com. Thanks for the stories. Welcome back to another edition of Mormon Expression. I'm your host, John Larson. Tonight, we're bringing you a special guest panel that's come to talk to us about the Fowler stages of faith. Uh, why don't we go ahead and start by having them introduce yourselves. First of all, let's start with Adam. Uh, hi, uh, Adam Hanson here, active in the Mormon Church, uh, wife and uh, children still are. Uh, they're growing up in a fairly liberal uh <laughs> Very, very liberal Mormon uh, situation. Their mom is uh, very active, but, uh, quite liberal. Um, just happy to hear to be here tonight with uh, with the, the panel um, discussing matters of uh, development in, in faith and uh, just human uh, transformation for years with various folks, including uh, my good friend Logan, who's joining us tonight here. Yes, indeed, Logan. Why don't you take this chance and introduce yourself? Okay, huh? Hi, I'm Logan. Uh, I am friends with Adam. I haven't attended church uh, very regularly, maybe at all, for about three years. But I grew up very, very strongly uh, in the church. I, um, uh, again, like Adam, I, I get really excited about talking about things like like development theory, where it where it's helpful, where it's not so helpful. Um, and um, yeah, that, that's my intro. Okay, and Logan leads us to Lois, of course. Hi, I'm I'm Lois, and I have grown up very traditionally in the Mormon Church. I find myself very much less traditional in my practice these days, but I still love the Mormon faith in all its complexity and messiness. And uh, well, I should say from from a professional point of view, I I have been a developmental theorist. Uh, so stages of development are interesting to me, if if a little bit messy as well. So I come from that kind of complex dialectical. True, and you have a special relationship to another individual on the panel, is that right? I do. I, Logan and I are related. I am Logan's mom. <laughs> yeah, hi, Mom. <laughs> hi, hi, Logan. You're our first mother-son team we've ever had, so congratulations. And finally, Thanks. finally, rounding out the the uh, the group, we have Brian. Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, my name is Brian. Uh, I'm a lifelong member of the church. Uh, done the whole Mormon experience thing, you know, mission, seminary, got married in the temple. Uh, actually kind of been sort of off and on active in the church at times. Uh, my wife has left the church and my kids are largely inactive, but I, I'm still active at church every Sunday for the most part. Uh, I'm very interested in the whole world of Mormonism. All right. Well, thanks one and all for coming on. And I think um, uh, when we talk about the stages of faith, I know that's something that goes around, um, especially sort of New Order and more liberal Mormon circles quite a bit. And I would assume that it goes around more liberal circles of other faiths too, although I don't track them as much. Um, uh, but some in our audience are probably not as familiar with it. So why don't we start and sort of ground it, ground it out and um, talk about what the Fowler stages of faith are, and then we can talk about what the different stages themselves are individually. Good. Should we just start off just with how, with how Fowler defines faith? I think that'd be great. Okay. So it, just the quick uh, synopsis here. Faith is not necessarily belief in a particular religious tradition. 
but the way Fowler describes faith as he's talking stages of faith would apply really to anyone, and that is faith is um, his language for the way that we make meaning in our lives, how we uh, put together you know, some sort of story that, that uh, helps us move forward in life. Yeah, and this is, this is Brian. I would also add that it's kind of also a driving force. He kind of describes it as that. He he says it's it's what gets you out of bed in the morning. You know what what it is that you're focused on, uh, and, and like what Adam said, what what gives your life meaning. And I think it's really important that when we're talking about stages of faith, uh, that Fowler divide he divides the faith content, like what it is you believe in, whether it's the Bible or Mormonism or Buddhism versus the structure of your faith, which is how your faith operates. Like, you know, it's the how of your belief, not so much the content of it. One thing that I would add is that as I read Fowler, I notice he talks about um, up through all the stages is the two key components of, of your faith or of what provides meaning for you are your identity and your worldview and what, what the source of those is, who the author is, uh, and what influences those two things. Now, when Fowler first wrote this, was he aiming it specifically at a religious faith, or was he taking on a bigger issue? Well, Adam here, I, I believe he was taking on the bigger issue, because I think he knew that the, even though his background is as a believer, he's also an academic and a researcher, and um, I, I think he, he, he wanted to find um, uh, a, a schema that could describe um, how people develop in terms of meaning making that went beyond just believers. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear, even, even though most people, again, because maybe the word faith is so baggage laden, um, most people assume that he's just talking about believers here. Stages of faith really was written to address the overall notion. And so, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins fits in here. Yeah, I think this is Brian. I think that's very important that even atheists fit into this schema and that it's um, it, it's really not related to any particular content of faith. I wanted to add, we we may not want to get into whether or not this really is a universal theory that applies across the board, but but that is one of the criticisms. But I think for many of us, we find it a helpful description in understanding our own path. I, I think it also helps us give it like gives us language to kind of talk about how we're operating in our faith. It's not like a new truth mm -hmm. in and of itself. Mm -hmm. It's just a way of talking about it. Exactly. I agree. Okay. Well, let's not keep everybody in suspense. Why don't we start? Um, there are seven stages, numbered zero through six. I guess um, Fowler was a computer programmer, starting with zero. <laughs> so um, let's start at zero. Uh, well, uh, I'll just jump in here real quick. This is Brian. Uh, stage zero he calls undifferentiated faith. And it, from my understanding, this is really associated more with like infants. It's just a, it's a fused hole where uh, a person's faith is, it's, there's no differentiation between, between trust and themselves and other people and their concepts. Uh, and they can't even really, at this level, it's not even really, um, there's no imagination or, or fantasy about faith. It's basically just, you know, an infant's relationship to the world. So really, faith is undifferentiated from just all the other inputs that are coming in. This leads to my first question um, about these stages. He associates them with certain age ranges, and we'll go through that as we go through each of the stages. Is he arguing for a literal interpretation of that, that, that you know, it's generally zero to two or zero to three, and then you move on, and everybody's doing that same thing? I think he, I think he is. I mean... When it comes to children, um, there's a lot more research, and, and I suppose that, that my mom could talk more about this, but my understanding is that developmental theory and psychology, especially in young ch children, is pretty solidly accepted uh, among psychologists, and I, I think this fits right in. In his book, he spends a lot of time tying his theory into to other accepted developmentalists. And I think, uh, Adam, here, one of the one of the key criticisms of, of stage theory is that it's uh, a little too pat, a little too cut and dried. And um, I, I think anytime you start talking, you know, kind of these big stage theories, you have to say there are some general tendencies that, that say this is what's going on when a person is at this stage versus another stage. 
Uh, and so, yeah, a, a, some people quibble on the details and, and it just kind of gets back to what Myers-Briggs type you are, whether uh, the bigger <laughs> picture is more important than the very specifics uh, or not. But uh, as for myself, uh, as a Myers-Briggs, you know, raging and uh, I like the big picture stuff. <laughs> and, and these these tend to be so linear, these stage theories. And a question that I have for Fowler, if I were to ask him, is is how can we differentiate between a person who might be in a stage two at the proper developmental time and an adult that's still in stage two? Can we can we really compare the two? But I don't want to get a sidestepped from from going through the stages by that question. All right, we'll put it on the shelf. All the that other. is an interesting question, though. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so stage one. Pretty simple. Uh, Adam here again. It, it, he calls uh, this the intuitive projective. This is the the uh, his age range in his uh, in his schema is ages roughly three to seven, and this is uh, you know these are Sunday school kids. <laughs> you know these are the simplest earliest stories in a religious setting. Um, uh, you know, as he says, characterized by, you know, kind of the psyche's unprotected exposure to the unconscious. And, and faith at this point is completely egocentric. Okay. Uh, maybe you can explain that a little bit more. Cause when I read the next stage, you know, the mythical literal we'll talk about, I can't tell the difference between the two. I don't, I don't know what the difference is. So m maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, uh, Brian. Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say one, one aspect of this that I also uh, made some notes on is that uh, at this stage, fantasy is uninhibited by the logical thought. They, they fuse fantasy, fact, and feeling. Um, their, their, their narratives are not always causal or have logical links. Um, they find various fragments, uh, you know, of different stories, just freely kind of combining them into, uh, you know, a story that they tell. And um, they can only really use relig like religious symbols that are very concrete. Like they can understand perhaps like um, a wounded Jesus on a, on a crucifix. But if you showed them like a drawing of a yin yang, you know, they wouldn't really that would be very hard for them to to use as as a religious symbol. And I don't know if, if this is an appropriate uh, metaphor for this, but I remember one of my sons putting a Band-Aid on the picture of Christ's um, nail print in his foot in, in a songbook that we had. And that's very much that stage one level of, of faith. Great example. Okay, so moving on to stage two, the, uh, he terms the mythical literal. Um, yeah, stage two, mythical, literal. Um, I have, you know, age range around eight to maybe like early teen, the latest. Uh, this is kind of a stage where um, Fowler called them the young empiricist, where they're constantly trying to work what's, you know, what's real and what's not real. You know, the difference between a fantasy story and what's real. Although that's kind of confusing, I think, when he described that in terms of, you know, religion because religion is full of a lot of stories um they have a strong sense of reciprocity uh so um a, a lot of times their narratives or when they're talking about god or religion they're talking about you know if if i'm good enough then uh god will give me something and if if i'm bad then god will punish me uh and another thing is they're strongly implanted in their own narrative and what that means is like they're 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 living this story, but they can't step outside of that and look and see. Ah, yes, I'm making a story about this. It's just all one experience to them still. I I think we see this in the church with with the strong emphasis on stories. I remember my children grew up with all the Book of Mormon and Scripture videos, and I myself, being much older than that, grew up with. With a lot of picture books, with the with the um, the stories from the Bible and the like, that be, that became the way I I learned about the church and learned about gospel principles, and there was never any question in my mind but what these were real st stories. Repel, 
uh, and uh, you know that Samuel hearing the voice of God was was absolutely something that I wondered if that would ever happen to me. Well, you mentioned stories. It seems that uh, most cultures, especially um, non-literate cultures, the myth is the driving force. The stories are the driving force of the cultural transmission from generation to generation. So is Fowler arguing that um, all those individuals are kind of stuck in a stage two, or or am I being too simplistic? This is Logan. I would say that um, that I'm not sure if all the individuals are are stuck there. Uh, Although many of them may be, this is probably an area where there's a lot of cultural bias in, in Fowler, especially when it does come to the, the ages he puts on things. Um, but I think that, that uh, the cultural, the larger narrative that you're from your organization and your religion uh, plays, that will be, be present at all these levels. But the role it plays in an individual's life at stage two is going to be um, very strong in the way we've described. Adam here, not to make uh, matters more complex than they need be, but just to, to kind of peg it for anyone familiar with uh, with Piaget. Uh, wouldn't Fowler Stage 2 be roughly kind of concrete operational Piaget? So that they're starting to think in terms of, of um, causality, uh, etc., but um, they're still, you know, they're, they're not to the formal operational stage yet. Yeah, this is Brian. I, I think that's the big difference. And John had mentioned that it, it's uh, difficult to tell the difference between stage one and stage two, which I, I agree. And I think that point you just made, Adam, is is one of the big differences where in stage two, there finally is this causal, logical construction, where in stage one, it doesn't have to be that way. They can make up this whole fantasy story and it maybe is, you know, not even linked causally. Like, But in stage two, you know, this essence of reciprocity with others you know, whether it's other people in your community or yourself and some idea of God, but there, there's a logical link that if I do this, then that will happen. Yeah. Would you say that this is the time when in in the LDS faith that we we get the roots of this one true church? This this is our narrative. This is why we're unique. And it it's almost an us against them in in a stage two. Oh, this is Brian. I, I think I think maybe that that kind of crosses between stage two and stage three. I, I think in Mormonism, what we get there are I think there are some elements a lot of times in stage two, which is a lot of that. Like I said, that reciprocity, that that belief that you know if we're righteous, we'll be blessed, and you know mm-hmm. if you pay tithing, then you know um, money will appear when you need it. You know, if you pay mm-hmm. it now, you'll build up this bank of goodwill with God. And at some point in the future, he need he will give that back to us. Uh, and uh, oftentimes that, you know, seeing that not happen over and over again is something that can help trigger somebody to transition from stage two to stage three. Now, there was one other thing in stage two that really struck me as far as Mormonism, which is that those in stage two tend to uh, more anthropomorphize the deities, which, of course, is a very, very strong a marker of, of of Mormon theology, uh, God the Father, Jesus Christ are actual physical human beings, um, Homo sapiens, if you will. So um, I think that's another strong tie to stage two for the LDS Church. Yeah, that definitely is a classic element that's that's more unique in Mormonism. I mean, we have extreme anthropomorphic views of of God. You know, even so much as saying that he's a person with a body. Right. And I think, John, where that connects here is this is this is still very uh, it's concrete thinking. The the ability to think abstractly uh, really hasn't developed yet. And so maybe that's that's one of the drivers, you know, behind it. When, whenever you see too much uh, or just or, or more concrete connection to symbols uh, than really under, under understanding abstractions, then uh, that, that probably has at least its roots in Fowler stage two. I think that this is perhaps one of the reasons that it becomes such a such a difficult journey for Mormons to move beyond a stage three is is the absolute adherence to such um, such literal explanations and translations of 
the gospel metaphors. Right. Now, Lois, you're hinting at stage three already. Maybe we should move on to that. Stage three is basically your obedience conformity stage, right? I think that's a part of it. Um, stage three is where I, I'll, I'll just admit now, that's where my the bulk of my notes started. Uh, I think that's where it gets good because here you start to get um, a stage that that you that adults will often find an equilibrium in. So a fair amount of adults will be in stage three. So what, what did you call it? Obedience? Obedience and conformity is what I, I tagged it with. Yeah. And, and, okay, and that so, makes sense. And so, and so going to yet another uh, stage theorist, uh, you know, uh, Kohlberg on moral development, stage three really is right in the heart of conventional moral development. It's, it's, it's past the pre-conventional. We understand the reasons to be obedient. We understand all the reasons why it's important to, uh, to buy into the, the, the group's norms. But we, and we have not really developed yet much of an ability uh, to, to start to critique those norms or to norm the norms. This is Brian. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, uh, when, you hit, when you start talking about stage three, uh, one element of this that we hadn't really talked about is our center or our focus of authority. And at stage three, you kind of reach the peak of an external sense of authority where uh, Fowler called this stage the tyranny of the they. Well, actually, I think he quoted some other uh, scholar on that. But um, a, a key element is that your sense of, you know, who is going to inform you about what is right or wrong or how you can know things is based largely in your group, or you could call your tribe, and also in particular authority or leadership figures. Uh, and that's you know definitely something we see classical in uh, you know Orthodox Mormonism, where we have a, a strong hierarchical structure. We have a prophet that will tell us uh, you know what God has for us. Uh, we're very you know, and there's also a lot of times a, a concern about you know how we relate into the group. You know, if we're not doing everything that we're expected to do and not being obedient, can we still be a Mormon sort of thing? And that's a big question that comes up a lot. I I agree. I think that inherent in this stage is the fact that our identity is tied to our to our faith, to our religion, and our, our values are very much embedded in the values of the group. And and so let's just call it at the risk of uh, uh, overgeneralizing here. Um, is it not fair to say that essentially the, the 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 majority of adult church members will at least have one very strong foot planted in stage three, if not both? Uh, I, you, your overgeneralization is starting to make me a little squeamish, but I think it's common. I'll give you that much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I, I recall hearing this. I can't remember if this was actually in the book or if I was just somebody was talking about it. I think it was in, but... Uh, supposedly around 60% of the people that Fowler surveyed, at least that were adults, were he classified in stage three generally. So, you know, the majority of, of adults kind of find what he calls equilibrium in this stage where they, they, they're here and they're happy with it and they don't get upset, you know, so that they're moved on into another stage. And, and one thing I actually I wanted to bring up at the beginning is, is – you know, I know these things are numbered sequentially, and we often think of, well, you know, I want to get you're better if you're a higher number, but I don't, I don't really like to think of these as, you know, somebody who's a higher stage is somehow superior than somebody who's a lower stage, because, you know, if somebody finds equilibrium in one of these and lives a happy life, you know, honestly, on a lot of practical levels, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> That's an excellent I, point, Brian. This is Logan. I just want to emphasize that. that yeah, it's not that a higher stage is better. Uh, it's the, that uh, it meets a different set of demands that that, that individual might um, have in, in his or her life based on the things that have happened to them or the situations they're in. A, a stage three uh, is a perfectly appropriate and in, in many ways much more adaptive stage to be in uh, depending on, on who you are and what your circumstances are. Okay, I want to add them here. I want to grant that and at the same time not let folks off on the off the hook here. We're the malfeasors of 9-11, stage three in, in, in at stage three in their development of faith or or some other other stage. Well, maybe we should table that question and go on to stage four to see where, where they might uh they might fit in. So let's 
Let's put so on. Well, so you don't you don't think the the the, the hijackers were stage three types? Well, um, I guess my take, if you take the word conformity, and conformity has um, sort of a negative connotation these days that probably doesn't deserve. We all reach a stasis with our culture and with people around us where we conform to standards. So I think most people going to church, in some sense, no matter what church or or whether that be some humanist group, reach a stage of conformity. And that's going to be a comfortable stage for most people. So I think you could argue that within their little angst-driven terrorist, uh, terroristic cell group, maybe that you could argue that they were in conformity. But then you could maybe argue they were in some stage four against the 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 um, bigger operative conditions in the world. That, that that's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. And I I really want to jump in here and say I don't think we can ever classify anyone's actions as one of these stages without looking at the intent. I think the intent behind it is what gives us more of a clue as to to the stage a person is coming from. So so you can you can have a certain action and be at any one of these levels depending on what your your core value and and intent might be. I, I guess I'm what I'm simply saying. I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to open a can of worms here, but um, I love it. Thank you. I, I, I understand that stage three can be adaptive. But I was just pushing back a little on the notion. I do understand that we're not trying to establish any kind of um, uh, unhealthy elitism here or anything. But simply, you know, this the, the, as as another uh, writer said, what we're talking about in terms of development is an elitism to which all are invited. And I push back just a little to say that a very literal belief in um, truth claims and authority claims and everything of a particular religion, particularly when it le- when it uh, leads to acts such as terrorism that is based, come on, we have to say, that is based on at least a, 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 a pathological take on a particular religion, uh, I don't see, I, to me, that just seems so clearly like that, that their starting point was a very solid stage three construct. So I'm not saying um, that all stage three is evil. I'm merely, I'm really challenging the notion that it wouldn't be helpful over time for more people to move past stage three. That's probably f- fair. Um, the egalitarian in me just wants to say, so, um, to the extent you believe that that uh, a lot of the Wall Street bankers were responsible for causing this. Do you think that they were at stage three or stage four? Oh, well, I, uh, it, to the extent that, that Fowler matches up with other developmental schemes, I think the Wall Street folks are probably on stage three. They're, they're, I, maybe it gets tricky there. I don't know. It's less, as clear, less clear cut to me. But um, just to say, say each level of development can have its pathologies and potentials for, for oh, danger. Absolutely, absolutely. We, we can move on now. I'll get off that. Yeah, I, I think the, <laughs> stage three is really understood, uh, at least in my eyes, in looking at stage four, um, which is kind of the struggle and personal stage. Brian, you've been doing a good job. Why don't you set the floor on that one? Well, yeah, uh, stage four, uh, Fowler calls individuative, reflective. And um, uh, one thing that struck me was that I think a key part of the transition from stage three to stage four is what I mentioned before, that focus of authority. Uh, In stage three, it's it's kind of the height of external where you're looking to your group or your group's leaders to tell you what what it is that you're supposed to know. Stage four is where you are yanked out of that and you start bringing that focus of authority internal so that you become the ultimate authority. And I think that's, you know, especially in Mormonism, which causes a lot of the, you know, the angst and, and the turmoil is because we're, it's such a close knit community, um, uh, deals so much with obedience and, and practices that, you know, when you start pulling that authority into yourself and saying, well, you know what? No, I don't, I don't agree with that. That's not true. Or that's not working for me. Uh, you know, that's, that's a step to take. And uh, a big aspect of the stage also is, is the demythologizing of symbols where, you know, the, the person finally starts to see symbolic elements within their, uh, their, their faith as just, they're just a symbol. And at that point, 
Uh, I think you said in the book, you know, a, a broken or a symbol seen as a symbol is a broken symbol now. Uh, so those are the couple of the key factors that I, I, I thought of for that stage. So um, I'll add to that a little bit. And that's a great job, Brian. And this is Logan. Um, in uh, in descriptions of Fowler that, that make the rounds on some of the, the ex-Mormon uh, meeting places, stage four seems to go along with, with uh, dissatisfaction or disaffection or, or some sort of angst um, almost inherently. And I just want to say that it doesn't have to be that way. There's nothing inherent about it. I think there is something that, that is natural for that tension to arise in the context of Mormons. Um, but in other, in other traditions or in you know, secular humanism or, or scientific materialist or what have you, that, that uh, transition is not a big deal. It, it can be quite natural. And stage four can be a really cool place to be. It's a time when, when as a young adult probably, or maybe an older adult, you're really coming into your own. You're relying on yourself as the author of your identity and of your worldview, and you're taking responsibility and accountability for for your own meaning and and, and creating in your life. And it's it's a really cool place to be in a lot of ways. Um, it doesn't have to be you know full of angst, and it doesn't have to be a transitionary phase that you want to get out of as fast as possible. We were uh, Adam here. We were uh, Logan and I were kicking this around a while ago, and uh, we're saying that. You know, outside, outside, uh, outside the Mormon Church, and 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 you know, just take from, from the the point of view that uh, uh, coming from, it's just funny to note that stage uh, stage four for many people is just called being in your twenties. <laughs> I think so, but in the church, it seems like our entire emphasis is to bring people to stage three, and and we don't celebrate or recognize the the processes beyond that so for for many of us coming to stage four really feels like a dark night of the soul or feels like we've hit the wall but but there really is some some sense of liberation when you begin to look outside of the box and god is no longer contained within the box within that anthropomorphized image of god but but it almost feels like you are being yanked away from the roots of your of your faith, of your religion, to begin to ask those questions. Another point, this is Brian, uh, that I've seen people talk about with past stage three. An important point is that these are largely a personal journey and no longer, you know, a a group journey. Um, And Fowler described it as, you know, you're a fish swimming in the water with all the other fish. And at stage four, you finally jump out onto the edge of the fishbowl and you can see now, you know, you can see the system that you used to be in as a system and you can start to examine it. And that can be both lonely and exhilarating at the same time. This is uh, Adam here. This is what Kohlberg calls uh, post-conventional morality, which is not uh, uh, the, the fallacy of saying it's not conventional, it's beyond conventional. They, uh, people in stage four can still very much uh, find reasons to behave in similar ways to where they were in stage three if it's adaptive. But they ha- now have the ability to norm the norms and to be able to see that. And it's a notion that, you know, we, uh, we don't see our own retina because it's the means by which we see other things. Uh, you can now see your retina, essentially, in stage four. You can see through that thing that you so identified with. It was so much, um, it's now become an object to you instead of, a, you know, it, it being spot welded to you as subject. You know, I'd like to build on sort of what Lois was saying. I, I see that the church, um, in a lot of its action, does a lot of gatekeeping between three and four. And a, a lot of the um, teachings and um, practices are designed to pull people back out of four into three, meaning, you know, the for my simple take on the difference between three and four, three is really, I have this moral because that's what we do, and four is, I have this moral because that's what I do. You take it from the group and you take it individually. And the church doesn't necessarily like people doing that very much. They want to keep that we, that the brethren tell you to do things, that it's in the handbook of instruction or or, or, or whatever. So I see that um, at least a lot of leadership in the church, of course, not all, see stage four as a threat. And maybe it is, but it's not inherently so. I think that's right, John. 
Okay, I'll I'll go. I think that's right. I think that the, a lot of I I don't know if the church um, actively you know thinks of something like like stage three and stage four and and actively tries to prevent it. But a lot of the structures are set up that I think do discourage it. And I think it's sort of a, of a gut reaction that in an invisible way they may discourage it. Uh, but regardless, it is discouraged, I think. And that, that capping off uh, at three uh, is one of the reasons why for so many people who have been Mormon or who are Mormon, uh, making the stage leap or are just changing their consciousness um, does feel so so alienating and so so lonely and so difficult to deal with. Yeah, and I, I was going to go back to the uh, the great Richard Pohl uh, model of the iron rod versus the liahona, and it's just interesting to go with the symbolism there. The iron rod is, you know, one uh, thing that we all grab onto, and it's kind of a group effort. The liahona was read individually, and uh, uh, I'm just wondering if those, those kind of match up against stage stages three and four. I think so. Um, you know, and, and to reemphasize, you know, there's a lot of people who can get to that stage four, internalize the values, and stay and be perfectly happy in the church. As a matter of fact, I would assume most of the brethren have done so. I think the job would be very hard to, in a stage three. I think. John, let me, let, let me ask you about that. Why do you believe that? Um, because it would be very difficult emotionally otherwise. And they, they've they've risen through the ranks, right? They've proven themselves time and time again to be very uh very loyal and and i don't think that just comes from being um submissive to the authority i think they have to uh, believe in the cause on some level and maybe it's just I, my assumption that um they're basically good people and trying to do the best they can maybe i'm just trying to get cut too much slack well i agree with john and this is logan i i think that that it's it's quite likely that they're that they have managed to make that leap from stage three to stage four and possibly beyond I think that that uh, in the church, if uh, you know, if you're on that, you know, let alone the stake president track, but if you're on the apostle track, you're finding that you do author much of your experience in the church. That based on your, you know, whatever skills and abilities you have, uh, you kind of create your worldview, you create your ego, um, and that you have the privilege of moving up and having everything work out and, and work out well for you. Uh, one of the problems that I have with the church is that for all but those people who are on the apostle track or the stake president track that that isn't you know available to them especially women or or, or other marginalized groups but i think that the apostles i think it's quite possible they could have uh, progressed uh adam here, well, i guess I, I guess i'd like to believe that i just i don't i think that's conjecture i just i, I see no evidence of that <laughs> and and we can conjecture a lot, but I think my own personal experience is that I find a lot of resonance for me in stage five with longings to stage six. But the truth of the matter is every once in a while when I shine the flashlight into my soul, I find a lot of vestiges of, of any stage. I'll say, my goodness, Lois, that was really stage three kind of behavior, or where did that <laughs> mythic literal translation pop up from? So, so <laughs> yeah, you know, we have the benefit of analyze, analyzing ourselves, but for someone who doesn't really think in terms of stages, I think behavior is going to, to be across the board. Well, I, I do also think that stage three is kind of the gravitational center of everything. I mean, we're, we're talking about the church doing border keeping, but if you look at, say, ex-Mormons, there's quite a few of them who they obviously progress from a three to a four in terms of leaving the church and then fall back into another three. They go from Joseph Smith was a prophet to Joseph Smith was a fraud, and they just change one suit of pants for another. That's a great point, John. I wanted to expand on what Lois was saying about um, it. She reminded me of... A, this this sometimes comes up. I personally don't always like to say that somebody is only one stage or another, like that you're identifying a person as in a stage so much as the way that they are thinking and processing their faith. And I think a lot of times people can stretch to maybe even three stages at times, just depending on what part of their faith that they're talking about. I think I, I've heard it called a uh, center of gravity, where you spend possibly the the bulk of, of your time and your, your thinking. But obviously, 
uh, you can access multiple different stages. Yeah. And and the way I look at it is, uh, I got this from somewhere, I wish I knew where, but it's kind of like that mobile hanging above the crib of, of your child's bed, that it has a particular center where it falls to and every once in a while you'll pull something out of line with that but then it always kind of jiggles back to to where it belongs mm. adam here I, I guess what i'd like to do john is just kind of you know kind of throw out to, to your um audience just to to speculate in what ways might the lds church start to um allow a healthy in stage four, what would be necessary for that to happen? What would be the, the conditions that would even allow the church to start to flirt with that? Wait, before before we do that, I have to one up you and ask why would they want to? <laughs> I well, don't, I don't see any well, reason that, for them that, to do it. That's interesting. Uh, well, I, I guess, and, and again, here's some assumptions. I, I, we should probably lay our assumptions on the table. Uh, I I believe in developmental theory. I think there's good evidence across the board. Again, at least generally, there's kind of a there, there's kind of an arc to this, and and an, and an arrow, and the telos, as uh, Robert Wright talks about. Um, and it would seem that you know the research points to over time we would expect to see fewer and fewer folks in stage three, or that stage three would cease to be as much the center of gravity. That there is an impulse toward, um, you know, to up the stages uh, instead of stasis or, or or a retrenchment. So I I guess my thought is the church is going to have to um, start making movements, start to figure out ways to accommodate healthy stage four, or we'll continue to lose people. I I think to your point, if you look at the history of you know the Mormon Church is very young. If you look at the history of the, you know, Catholicism or or Buddhism or or Islam or or other religions, they tend to go through a phase where they become. The, the, in the beginning, they're not very tolerant. They're very stage three ish. They tend to move out of that. So I, I would assume in time the church will become more accommodating to stage four, mainly by not enforcing its myths so much, maybe by not having temple recommend questions and financial requirements and that sort of thing. I'd like to say something on this topic. This is Logan. Um, basically, what it is is. Um, well, I, whenever I hear John DeLynn talk about this, and it would have been great to have him here and let him say it himself, because uh, I'm going to mostly be echoing what I've heard him say. And that's that, um, to some extent, I think you can view the brethren as, as feeling like they've given that a shot uh, to loosen some of the controls on information and, uh, and on, on the, the curriculum that's taught and what people think. And in their minds, uh, it it was disastrous that it caused people to, to leave the church and it, it started pointing them down the road to what we might call the community of Christ effect to where, okay, we're, we're, uh, we're liberal, we're enlightened, but you know, we, we have, you know, we have no, no cohesion practically. And so, so that is something that, that has been a concern to them. And I think there has been something of a, of a retrenchment. I think that's true. We better move on to stage five for all of our, uh, Nom friends, that that's their favorite stage. So let's talk a little bit about stage five. Uh, this is uh, this is Brian. Stage five, Fowler calls conjunctive faith. That he means kind of a rejoining of um, both a kind of like a skepticism with um, letting down your guard. I, I guess I think of it as you know, I described the fish jumping out of the fish tank. Well, at at stage five, when you start to transition into that stage. You've you've kind of you're satiated with this process of trying to sort things out into your own internal truths. Uh, I've also met a certain level of self certainty where you can allow these symbols to once again start impacting you, your your feelings, uh, and and I describe it as you know the fish then jumps back into the tank. Yeah, Fowler calls it, or or he quotes somebody as calling it a second naivete or a, a willing naivete. And perhaps this fish even jumps into other tanks and just, you know, to try those out. Uh, so it's kind of a detached, a, a detached or, or, or willing, and, you know, jumping back into the symbols and, and letting them work on you again. So I, yeah, it, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Adam, 
Adam here, I was just struck by, you know, reading all about stage five with, when I first became aware of the, the construct and felt like, hey, I'm wondering if I'm not trying to go there. I heard a lot of re-language for stage five. It's the notion of return, you know, all this coming back, doing things again, but then again, from a different, from a different perspective and from the perspective of being able to, again, to norm the norms, to be able to see those symbols. But you can't embrace really something until you make it an object and rather than it just being, you know, part of you as subject. So to, to... I think that's so much what my mom was saying about how the behavior can look exactly the same, but the perspective or the intention behind it can be a lot different. This this stage five feels a little bit like what we call the enduring to the end. <laughs> Uh, that that act, you know, not a resigned enduring to the end, but an active enduring to the end, finding finding a place in the community of saints, but no longer needing the hierarchical role models or mentors within the church. Looking looking at a broader uh, perspective, you know, of what truth might embody, and its different manifestations, and and recognizing that the truth of a person in stage two or three or four is is absolutely as real as as the stage of truth that you may be experiencing. So I, I brought up our New Order Mormons uh, a minute ago, and, and, and John DeLynn's name's come up, and I would fancy his um, Stay LDS project to be more sort of this, this sort of stage five attempt of getting um, members sort of locked in after or not locked in that's the wrong word getting them <laughs> to, to, to stay stay in the church and keep contributing even after they've encountered significant doubts now obviously from my background I'm, I'm not as much into that sort of point of view and i think logan you just said a minute ago that the behavior looks exactly the same and i guess that's my concern one of the things that led me to walk out of the church was that i knew that my children wouldn't be able to differentiate between my nuanced sort of stage five beliefs beliefs and what they're hearing in primary and young women's and young men's. Adam here, I would say this is, this is really one of the things that, that really um, kind of, I think got me going. I'm, I'm withdrawing from the church is I felt like I ha we had to do so much damage control after church each Sunday to talk through what the kids had been taught. And just to check on that, we were really concerned about what, what was happening there. And so we really opened up some dialogue and not always looking to, you know, not to, you know, find fault or anything, but just to be able to correct some overly literal, uh, you know, a little too ethnocentric takes on, on, you know, what we felt was most important in the gospel. Another place, this is Logan here, where I, this may be the same place, come to think of it, but, but another way that I've, um, that I've been uneasy with the way I've, I've heard about Fowler's stages talked about in, in the, uh, or from the perspective of, of staying in the church after your, your testimony is, has changed a lot is that, um, here again, or, and I, I, I must say that I'm not completely familiar with, with the stay LDS project or exactly how that works, but, but I really resid or uh, I resist the idea of saying that stage four is going away from the church and stage five is, is coming back to the church. So, I, you know, I would hope that there would be perhaps a path carved out to be uh, stage four in the church because, it, you know, sometimes it takes a while to go through the stages and really learn what you need to learn, feel everything you have to feel, and then, you know, make your cognitive shifts. Uh, and the other thing on top of that is that stage five certainly doesn't mean you have to come back to the church. Uh, I think, as Brian put it, you might jump into another pool or you might, you know, find something that's just not very much like a pool at all. But you, whatever you do, you do consciously. And it might be coming back to church, but then it might not. Uh, this is Brian. I just wanted to chime in and say, I mean, I, I'm one of the people that help operate and run Stay LDS with John. And the like. The purpose over there is, um, is not necessarily just to get everybody to stay in the church. It's just if somebody feels like they're drawn to doing that, how do you do that? And it's just a, it's kind of a discussion that goes on constantly of various different reconciliation strategies and nobody really has the answer. And I think it was a really important point that people made that, um, you know, talking about content versus structure of faith, 
people may transition structurally from one stage to another, but we haven't really talked about content changing. And, you know, if somebody goes, you know, from three to four to five, they may not stay LDS. Uh, and, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, it, people will be drawn at that point because of their own internal sense of authority to whatever it is that is working for them because it works for them. Uh, so anyways, that's, that's kind of part of that journey, but stay LDS is just, I guess maybe kind of like a mentoring project to, you know, help people see ways that, you know, if that is the direction that they want to go, if they want to keep that content, well, here's some suggestions, you know, that so-and-so used that seem to work, or this is how it works for me, that sort of thing. Well, I was just going to say quickly, I don't know if we'll get to it on this, but I'd love to love to maybe talk to you more about that and, and see how that's going uh, using some some Fowler language, but but we'll see if we get to it. Go ahead, Adam. Well, yeah, and the point I want to make is that it's back to this notion, nothing significant is going to happen with the church with respect to stages four or five until some kind of critical mass comes together to, uh, you know, to allow that. And stay LDS, you know, certainly could be, uh, could be part of that. I know John, much of what John has been doing, I have, I've suspected has been behind this notion of, of establishing some sort of critical mass to help people who are struggling, you know, because there is, there's no vehicle within the church right now to address these kinds of things. Yeah, that's correct. That's a great point, Adam. I, as someone who, you know, I just turned 30, so I know a lot of people in my 20s, and certainly through the last several years, I've known a lot, a lot of people in my 20s. Uh, and I'm absolutely shocked at the number of people who, who start to make some sort of leap like this and who just don't feel like they can stay in the church. So many of my friends... Um, yeah, have left just because they don't feel like when they're authoring their own identity and their own worldview that there's a place for them in the church. And so it's true. If the church is going to change, ideally we want to keep, or the church wants to keep people like that. And so you can set a, you can set a path, a trailblazing uh, way for that to happen. But unfortunately, a lot of people are finding that it makes more sense for them just to leave. Yep. Yeah, and I want to be clear. I don't have any problem with Stay LDS, and if it works for people, uh, that's great. I'm glad you guys are out there as that resource. Um, I, I would like to bring up my one sort of objection to, to Stage 5 and hear what you guys have to say, which is sort of my objection to the whole Fowler model, which is let's suppose, we're, now we're not talking about the LDS church here, but let's suppose we were talking about a completely and utterly false religion. Um, there's no, no, no truth to it whatsoever. If we follow this model, um, Fowler seems to imply that there's like a superiority in of of a falling away and a sort of returning and synthesizing um these views. So it seems to to beg the question that the religion is good or valuable or um constructive in the first place because if you're transcending between it and not it and that's somehow a higher stage well I think a lot of skeptics and agnostics would have a problem with this model. Um, just because of that. And John, uh, Adam here, I guess I, I want to challenge your, your premise up front. Uh, first of all, other than Scientology, what religion are we talking about here? <laughs> <laughs> well, in, for, no, but I mean, the, the point being that in, in, in most of the, of, the, of the great faiths, there is something of, of worth, of meaning. Uh, there, there can be something there that, that can actually help someone uh, at stage five and, you know, and beyond. I don't know about stage six. I have my doubts about it, but, uh. Um, tradition probably isn't going to last if there's nothing there. So. Yeah, it's a, exactly. It's so I, 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 I think what, what stage five is about is not coming back and embracing everything. I think it's, I think stage five, starting with stage four is when you start to take on, you know, you, you, the locus of responsibility changes to the individual. Stage five still has, I still understand that I'm on the hook for all of this. I just now can approach this. I have enough, you know, kind of critical detachment or ironic distance you know, on, on some of those, uh, some of those beliefs that I can come back now and approach it in my way. And anything that just doesn't work for me at all, I just, I have the option of not, you know, paying much attention to. Oh, yeah, uh, this is Brian. And uh, one thing that, like, I noticed ab about this part of the conversation is, you know, it's this, well, what if, if it was a religion that was totally false? Well, th see, that's, that's not really like a stage five 
point of view. Somebody in stage five already, they essentially realize that it's not true, (laughs) but they're doing it anyways. So it's that perspective. These people always seem, I guess, from a stage four perspective, like a sellout or weird or irrational. Recidivist. Uh, Recidivist. (laughs) Yeah. But, But you see, that's the thing is, is they're jumping back in, realizing it's not true. I I have to agree with that. I I think for me it there came a time when I had to make a decision and it felt a little bit like either I was going to decide to never speak my native language again or I was going to to come back to to a place where I I spoke the language and and it's a lot about being part of a community but also it's in practicing your religion in the new ways that that you've come to terms with, what does it mean to pay tithing? You know, it's no longer the the primary answer to that question. Or, what does it mean to to be a woman in the church and to practice my religion with with the um, essence and and the power and authority of of the divine feminine? And th- those are valid questions that sometimes put me at odds with the church. But it, it still is is part of who I am. I can't extract that LDS DNA from me and and still be a person. So, so I haven't given up the ideals that that became so important to me as I as I um, started that struggle so many years ago. But I've I've found a community again, that allows me in my own unique way to work out those things, as my husband would say, with fear and trembling. <laughs> hey, here's one question I have, John, if I, and, and then I'll be, I'll really be quiet. I, I know we're reaching the end. Um, I just want to put out the question, is stage five Mormonism uh, uh, inevitable, eventual, or an oxymoron? Impossible. <laughs> Um, my, my opinion is until the church changes, it's it's impossible. I think the kind of stress that you all see with the Stay LDS project, the pressure you get from both outside and inside, for example, shows that it's a very difficult thing to maintain. And most people who do it do so by keeping quiet in the pews. I think you'd have a very tough time in the church um, openly espousing a sort of stage five model. Um, and it, it just, the only way you're going to do it is by keeping your mouth shut. Now, I think there's a lot of Protestant religions in the United States, but that's not true, where those in stage five would be um, welcome and accepted. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about my own church. I, I, I've said before that, that we attend the Unitarian Church, and the interesting thing is there's no stage three. It's not allowed there. There's only a um, personal belief. So, Our stage three looks like stage four, as far as the behavior, at least. Well, there's, 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 nothing, there's nothing to stage three. I mean, there's no creed. There's no... There's no belief pattern. So, so the creed you. might be there's no creed? <laughs> well, I guess we could always get into that, <laughs> the, the regression. that It's it's uh, turtles all the way down from there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would agree with you, John, and this is Logan, uh, that something pretty drastic is going to have to happen in the church. You know, we might have something like Vatican II, Salt Lake City II sort of council, where something pretty dramatic changes uh, before we can get, get to something where a stage five Mormon can... Uh, can come out of the closet, so to speak. And I absolutely believe that that will happen, but I don't know if it'll be 150 years from now. All right, the, we should probably briefly mention stage six, which is um, transcendental enlightenment, um, which, you know, I don't know. That happens once every three or 4,000 years, right? <laughs> so we're talking Gandhi, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the uh, pattern that you know transcends all particular faiths and kind of wraps them up holistically. I think maybe something to aspire to, but probably outside the reach of most mere mortals. Yeah, I don't even think Fowler was comfortable with it in his book. You know, he he's he kind of like made some conjecture about it, and you know, he kind of talked about what he thought it might be. But uh, I think even even within that book, stages of faith, you know, he he didn't work too deeply into what the concept would be. Yeah, you have to have high enough an N in the group that you're studying to uh, be able to draw any kind of research conclusions. Yeah, and then be able to find them. Yeah, just uh, yeah. the couple of notes that I did have though was you know that 
this, this is somebody who's not satisfied with the stage five detachment and kind of jumps back into the absoluteness of their particular faith, uh, becomes sort of radical and viral in nature. And many of them die at the hands of the people they're trying to help, <laughs> you know, to, to raise up to this higher consciousness, you know. Wow. I have real problems with, with either Fowler or Kohlberg's um, top stage levels. And I, I think it it comes from not having experienced it. They're writing about something that they're just conjecturing on. And, and it goes back to not having enough subjects. But I, I believe that there are far more stage six people around than, than we understand. People who have have just profound um, compassion, understanding, empathy. And of course, I'm defining it from my own perspective, what I idealize it to be. But I, I think it exists and, uh, and, and maybe we'll, we'll come to understand it better. Okay, guys, it has been an excellent discussion. Um, and I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I, I think we haven't really all covered everything with stage five um, as far as uh, patterns of belief and what it means in the church and, and what it means for the individuals trying to practice these. I'm going to invite you all back and we can come and talk more about stage five if you'd like. That'd be great. Yeah, that'd be very interesting. Okay, it's been a wonderful discussion. um, And like always, the discussion continues on mormonexpression.com. Follow us to the web and check us out there. You can call us at 801-906-6722 and leave a message. Or you can email us at mail at mormonexpression.com.